Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. The race is on, and with F1's race weekend format changing again for the upcoming Azerbaijan Grand Prix, we ask why the endless tinkering with Grand Prix racing? Why is it happening? And what is the best structure for an event? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us for a lively debate are Ben Anderson, Scott Mitchell Malm, and Val Harunji. Well, Ben, we'll say hello to you first. What have you been up to? I hear there's some indoctrination going on in the Anderson household. Hello. Uh, indoctrination. Yes, well, my four year old son, Rafe. He is obsessed with cars uh, and has been probably since about the age of two. You'd think that's probably a natural thing, given my background, but I promise I didn't force him into it. And uh, He started uh, really getting into going to Brands Hatch to watch club racing. Uh, so we uh, went to see the Easter uh, British Truck Racing Championship meeting at Brands Hatch on the Saturday. And uh, I'm now getting slightly concerned as he gets older, he will want to carve out his own racing career, which will be obviously very expensive and fraught with peril. Is that concern rooted in the fact that then you would have not just a sister who's faster than you, but a son that's faster than you as well, Ben? Well, the uh, contention that my sister is faster than me is unproven, of course, but it's surely every father's wish that their son can uh, achieve uh, more than they did. So I hope very much that Rafe is faster than me. I think achieving more than you did is the bare minimum in life, to be uh, to, to be quite honest. There's a, there's a lot more there. But it's good to hear you're well on your way to being a karting dad. And you've already heard from Scott Mitchell, recovered from your pain getting back from Australia and enjoying the gap. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't think the pain of that journey from Australia will ever truly leave me. This is a, at least a healthy healthy gap to try and um, get my bearings again, recharge a little bit, and then we go again in Baku. Excellent. That's exactly the attitude you need to have. And Val, what's been going on with you of late? I mean, that's a, that's a difficult question to ask. And now you've asked me a second time, but it, it covers a lesser time span in between my appearances. But didn't you ask me secretly on WhatsApp before the start of this episode what I was what I was up to, so that you could incorporate it into the start of episode banter? And then I you did, just and you came up with nothing interesting, so I thought I'd put you on the spot. <laughs> I mean that's honestly that is a that is a fair reflection. Uh, I've been getting back into Rocket League, I guess. Is that anything? Explain yourself. Imagine I know nothing about anything. Rocket League is, I know. is a is a like a car soccer multiplayer game. On I was about console. to say the lack of knowledge about this uh, particular game is a damning indictment of the age and relevance of the rest of this podcasting panel. A car soccer game. Yeah, it's brilliant. It is it's really fun. It's, 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 it actually, it reminds me of, um, I, I can't remember what, what it was called, but there, there was some 
really early generation PS1 games that were actually sort of broadly similar in 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 concept. It's always I, I I've, I've always thought it was uh, quite a fun one. Um, Lando Norris plays it quite a lot, doesn't he, Val? Oh, I have no idea. I've never met him online. No, I thought you'd be the relevant one. Yeah, sorry it's, about that. No, I just it's, it's, it's move on. Let's get back to F1. We're we're floundering. I'm going to try and gain the, gain the initiative back by referencing some ZX Spectrum games from my youth. <laughs> Yes, in Bow, I, I too once played an N64. Pong. N- talking about N64 as old doesn't work for me. You've got to go much, much further back than that. Duck Hunt on the original Nintendo. What did that. you just say? Duck. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family friendly podcast, Ben. You can't say just that. Just for the sake of clarity. What, Duck Hunt? Yeah. <laughs> Still doesn't sound great. Good, good. Well, there we go. It's been a, it's been a veritable cavalcade of uh, of gaming history now i'm gonna start referencing manic miner now one of the seminal zx spectrum games hang on i still need to know what rocket league is it is a car soccer game there are cars uh running around a football-ish field trying to knock a cars lock- are running <laughs> look don't pick on my use of words i'm not a native speaker I'm oh so- i see yeah, I see. yeah uh, cars they're driving, driving around, around hitting the ball uh without visible drivers in case that matters or doesn't they're like tiny cars and it's a really <laughs> large ball and they all try to knock the the ball into into the net and it's it's fun it's quite well made it's been around for a while and a lot of people take it quite quite seriously it's a good game oh there, this, there we this go. segment is format. not sponsored by by rocket league by the way but <laughs> that's a good point this could absolutely feed into the format discussion we're going to have on this show so i guess we'd better get into it scott before we get into the debate on how things should be done can you just explain what we're expecting to happen for baku and when this will actually be set in stone yeah so it's all to do with the the sprint weekend format where obviously up until now we've had it where on a sprint weekend you have fp1 on the friday you have qualifying towards the end of Friday, which sets the grid for the shorter Saturday race. There's an FP2 session on Saturday before the sprint. Then you have the sprint. The result of that sets the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. And it was all meant to be about um, spicing up the race weekend, putting an extra race in, making it each day meaningful because you have a competitive session on each day. And because of that uh, ill-fated and fundamentally flawed Ross Braun logic of racing drivers are going to want to be competitive even if they're racing in shopping trolleys, it was all meant to be absolutely amazing and the best racing that anyone's ever seen in the history of anything in the history of ever. But obviously that didn't come to pass because this is still Formula One and the laws of physics and especially the laws of F1 physics still apply. So there's been an inherent conservatism that has um, undermined the sprint. I I think a lot of people, I, I count myself among among them, have enjoyed the format in terms of having qualifying on the the Friday. I think that's immeasurably more interesting than watching FP2. And the sprint race on Saturday, I think, is a harmless substitute for not having qualifying in that space. But there are still flaws to the weekend format, such as FP2 is pointless because part fair may set the previous day. So it's just a tyre management and tyre learning exercise for the teams and drivers. And then because there's only a small number of points available for the sprint, and you risk screwing your grid position for Sunday's race, there's extra conservatism that comes in for the sprint race itself. So what's going to change in Baku, or what should change, uh, subject to this all being voted through next week, I think there's an F1 commission meeting in the days leading up to Baku, is that the sprint will effectively be separated from the rest of the weekend in terms of it'll be isolated and on its own. So you'll still have the FP1 session, That will then lead into a qualifying session for the Grand Prix on Friday. So Friday qualifying 
takes place the same time it has so far on a sprint weekend, but the the result of that sets the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. And then Saturday basically becomes sprint day. There's another qualifying session, a bit truncated and reducing in time to the point of only allowing one lap in Q3. That will set the grid for a sprint race and the result of the sprint race will not impact Sunday's Grand Prix at all. So the idea is that that then allows drivers to to go at it without worrying about messing up their grid position on Sunday. I think that about covers everything, but if I've missed anything, ask me another question. Oh, there'll be many more questions to come, but you were very clear on that. So how does everyone feel about that? I don't really like the disconnection between the the, the Saturday happening in between the, the Friday and the Sunday. What do you reckon, Ben? Oh, you're not a fan of Sprint Day, as it's now been dubbed. I quite like the Sprint, but I'm not so keen on this weird insertion in the middle of a, a sort of effectively a Friday-Sunday Grand Prix proper weekend. I think it's a small step in the right direction. Now, Scott made the point, uh, the point about practice being pointless, particularly on Sprint Weekends, that Saturday morning session. I mean, you know, the team still use them, but that felt disjointed to me having this one practice session on the Friday going into qualifying and then just doing a pointless warm-up basically before the racing gets going on the Saturday afternoon. So I think having an extra session that counts towards that does make sense. It's not the format I would choose if you could start from a blank sheet, but I do think it's a step in in the right direction, even though, like you say, it does sort of isolate Friday qualifying from the, the Sunday race. I mean, what else? What else would you do given the format you've already got? Yeah, I did, like there's there's one thing about it specifically that really does annoy me. But before that, I, I should say that I, I agree with Ben completely. The Saturday morning FP2 is a black hole of entertainment. You have track action that's not really meaningfully useful to spectators, or really it seems particularly teams. So you know, you're just wasting track action when you could have you know something meaningful. And I think that's you know that's been the general point of contention about practice for Stefano Domenicali, who obviously caused the stir when he was quoted as saying that we need to bin off practice and deal with it, which led to a lot of sudden practice defenders and lovers who are more numerous than than I potentially expected. Um, <laughs> ultimately, we want to make the most of the track action that we do have because these cars are, you know, they're expensive to run. These tires are expensive to make. So let's, let's actually have the, the mileage count for something. Um, I don't like the separating of the sprint into its own, its own standalone thing. And I, I get the reasoning of trying to sort of free up drivers and make them more comfortable to, to push and, and, and race. But, First of all, like that borderline makes it an exhibition race, right? That's an exhibition race on Saturday that has very little to do with the rest of the weekend. It was a lot easier to justify it as part of the Grand Prix weekend of the cohesive whole when you just regarded the Saturday sprint as the first stint of a race. So, you know, you still have a Grand Prix, but the first stint has been lobbed off and put forward on Saturday. And then you have a red flag and you have the grid reset and you also pay points at the end of it, but they're very minor points. Now it's just, it's not quite an exhibition race because you pay points, but the points aren't great. They're not going to decide a a championship anytime soon. I don't think almost certainly not this year. And I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not particularly invested in whether Fernando Alonso picks up four points or five points on, on Saturday in Baku or whatever happens. And I know driver conservatism in terms of hurting their grid position will have played a part in the fact that the sprints have been relatively tame, but also 
The bigger problem is F1 cars still don't race very good. And that's a much bigger problem than any format thing for me still. An element of that would have been the choice of venues to have the sprints though, won't it? I mean, having one in Baku, I think makes sense because you're likely to have, you're more likely to have good racing on a track like that than you are, say, even Brazil, which was probably the best sprint we've had so far, the last one. So I think ultimately, if you're watching racing, that's got to be better than watching practice sessions for for one thing. And paying the points does make it relevant, I think, to the Grand Prix. I know it's not, you know, a massive amount, but it's still significant. And by separating it, you then hopefully do avoid this conservatism, which I agree has has come in, you know, instead of just front loading the first stint of the race, now you've got a, a segregated thing that should encourage people to go for it for the points, for the reward, and not worry so much that they affect the race the following day. It certainly won't affect the grid position anymore. So that removes the main thing. And then it's just a case of, well, you know, crash damage, can teams afford it? Do you run the risk of totaling your car before the race day and can it be repaired in time? That's a genuine question. But to all the other points, I feel like this is a step forward on what we had. It's a further step towards um, this risky balance between what what is the motivation to go racing at the moment? You have a sporting motivation or a financial motivation. And obviously from Formula One's perspective, the commercial consideration is greater than it's ever been. They're looking to squeeze every every drop of profitability out of this as a sport and a championship and a spectacle as, as possible. We see that with there being more races than ever and then you we're adding six sprint races on top of that now. That that's the that's the core thing. With, with the fact that there are points available, so the fact so now that we've lost the grid position element for Sunday, the the points element means that the sprint does still have competitive sporting value. It still adds something to the weekend. There is still something for the the people who do the best job still have something to fight over. And you can argue that eight or 10 cars now have no reason to participate in that sprint because they're not going to be anywhere near it. I personally think that's nonsense because um, don't, don't turn up at all. If, if that's your, if that's their attitude towards this, if they only to participate, if they've got a genuine chance of scoring points, stay at home until you do a better job. Because this is meant to be a competitive sport. You don't get anything handed to you. Everything about it is meant to be an incentive for you to do better. If those teams do a better job, they have more points available for them on a Saturday now, six times a year. So there's an opportunity there, an incentive there for them to do a better job and become available. So there is still a sporting element to it, but there is also a, a commercial element for all 10 teams, which is that they get a massive, massive chunk of the F1 revenue. The, the, the That's what their prize money comes from, F1's revenue over the course of a year. The more sprint races there are, the, more, the better they are, the more popular they are, the more money F1 will make over the course of a year. And therefore, those teams that aren't fighting for points on a Saturday in a sprint, because there's only points for the top eight or whatever, and it's not long enough for other factors to come into play, they still get something out of doing the sprint. They're contributing to something that should make a tangible difference to F1's bottom line. And I know that there are some people who won't appreciate that because it's a financial argument. But my point is, is that there are still sporting elements uh, underwriting what we're trying to do here with the sprint. But there is also a financial element that means all of the teams gain from it. Even if it doesn't look like on the surface that there's anything for them to be fighting for in these races, they all get something out of there being sprints. Yeah, just I, I, my my whole argument is just I I think 
the grid position value to me felt more meaningful like the grid position gains than the points gains maybe i'm i'm wrong in, in looking at it that way but you know those one point increments even at the top of the race like okay forget the people running out of the out of the top eight or whatever because ideally yes they don't really have a lot of reason to put much on the line in you know fighting for 15th or 16th true but ideally the sprint is good enough to where the tv direction doesn't have to worry about that so much because you know when in the main race we're showing people fighting for 15th and 16th then the race is not very good usually i think i think that would be probably fair to say I mean, maybe a lot of people disagree. Maybe they were riveted by watching the McLaren's take on Logan Sargent in, what was it, Jeddah or wherever. Uh, like, you know, obviously every position counts, but sometimes it only counts in a, in a, in a certain way. I just, the, the points thing, I find difficult to really get excited about. And I, maybe that's, maybe that's the wrong way to look at it, but, for me, a big draw of the Grand Prix is that at the end you get a Grand Prix winner, which is super, super, super prestigious, and Grand Prix podiums, which is also like this absolutely huge deal. That to me matters more than 25, 18, 15 points, right? And for sprints, those aren't going to count because they're not proper long Formula One races. So it's just, you know, eight, seven, six, five. But I mean, it's better than nothing. It's certainly better than a practice session. Don't get me wrong, please. Absolutely. But I don't know, but tying them to to the grid position for me added more of the stakes for me to be more invested. I'm still going to watch, obviously, not just because it's my job, but because it's a race instead of a practice session. This is obvious, but I don't like I don't like this particular split. I guess you know you can't have it all in this kind of situation. Like it's a balancing act, as Scott said. Also, in terms of You've got a finite amount of track time. And the problem with the old format, to me, is that it devalued qualifying. Yes, it made Friday more exciting because you weren't just watching FP1 and FP2. But this session that you in a normal Grand Prix weekend is so important, suddenly just becomes a bit less so because you'd have this sprint race to correct anomalies. And people who did a bad job or made a mistake had 20 laps, a first stint to kind of race their way forward or benefit from other people's mistakes. So this tweak, I think, kind of makes qualifying more important again. That's a good thing. And I think the argument over whether it devalues the sprint or enhances it, I mean, clearly it's dividing opinion here and it's going to divide opinion elsewhere too. You can argue either way. I don't think the points are necessarily the most important aspect. I think you do need to award them because you have to have some relevance to it beyond this kind of financial incentive that we know is there but isn't obvious. And how else do you do it? I mean, it's still a race. So ultimately, if we can just focus on the fact that what we're watching, you know, is cars racing hopefully and hopefully racing more aggressively because they're not worried about protecting a grid position because it all links into together and follows on, hopefully that will be a good thing. But we, we won't know, obviously, until they actually bite the bullet and get going. One one final thing just to add on that, which links into what you were saying there, Ben, and, and what I was saying before, is that I think ultimately to judge whether this is worthwhile, we have to ask two questions. Is one, do the, do the people watching get something out of it and do the people participating get something out of it? And I think as much as we can argue the, the, the merits of those things, both sides do get something out of it. You, you 
the points are pretty irrelevant. I mean, the only teams that that really has an impact on are maybe a, an, an upper midfield team that's having a particularly good weekend and has an opportunity to bank an extra four or five points, which in relative terms is actually a big deal in, in a midfield battle. Or if you are in a tight championship fight, those that extra one or two points, blah, blah, blah. But the points aren't absolute the be all and end all. The fact that you've lost a grid position is a blow in a way to the competitors. But like I was saying earlier with that commercial element, it's all feed, It's all part of a bigger picture. It's not just about what you get on the day. And then from the viewer point of view, as everybody's basically said, we get to watch a race instead of a practice session. That's the next, that's the net gain. And because we've separated it from Sunday's race, as Ben said, the actual qualifying session, the big, the real one on the Friday matters more. And it's just, overall, overall it is, it, it, it is valid and it is, I will, merited is probably the wrong word but it is like I say something that gives something tangible to everybody participating in, in this whether it's from a competitor point of view or or a viewer point of view you, you know you might not think it's 100% of the value that you want it to be but it but it is a value and that that's why I think I'll echo something Ben said at the very start of this is it is a step in the the, the right direction it's not perfect but I, I think on balance, it's better than what we had before. I mean, Ed, just to throw one back to you, you said that you don't like the fact that you have what I called sprint day. But what would you do? Would you swap the two qualifying sessions, for example? Would you have um, the sprint race on the Saturday morning and then Grand Prix qualifying as the Saturday afternoon showpiece? Well, there's two different things there. I you need something on every day. I've got no problem at all with that. I actually prefer the older sprint format to this one. Yes, there's the FP2 problem. There's other ways to tackle that. But the the thing that concerns me about the, the whole idea is, one, as I've mentioned, there's that disconnect in the middle of the weekend, which I'm not so keen on. But the other thing is, one of the reasons the sprints are unpopular is that when F1 introduced it, they went so overboard with how, saying how amazing this will be. This will be incredible. They ignored the fact Val mentioned earlier that the F1 cars don't race quite in the way to make a, a short sprint a massive overtaking fest. So it was oversold, and then people kicked back against being told this is the greatest thing ever. When actually, it was just it was quite a nice addition. I quite like it. I like the fact that drivers aren't having to save tyre resources for example for a rainy day around the pit stop because in a normal race stint they always have that in mind oh, i need to keep a little bit so that if someone tries to undercut me i've got something to fight back with you don't need to worry about that in the sprint i quite like that 20 25 lap race that makes it very interesting so for me i i actually prefer the way the old sprint format worked and i do to refer back to something you said scott about well people need are there to race so they should be racing one of the arguments for this sprint format that's being introduced for Baku being better, and I'm sure we'll hear lots about that over the race weekend, is that there's greater incentive to race. But I'm not sure that actually argument stacks up because I think anything you gain from the elimination of risk of crashes, which still, I should add, have a negative impact under the cost cap in particular, is the fact that there'll be a lot of people that can't gain anything. Oscar Piastri was 16th on the grid in Australia. If there's a sprint race there, he's got nothing really to gain. He really doesn't. If he can gain one or two places on the grid that's really worth something. So that's kind of coming back to what Val says. And again, it comes down to selling what the sprint can be. This sprint format isn't that different to the old one, really. I mean, I have a bit of a criticism of the disconnect. I don't think it's a disaster. Not everything's perfect or terrible. It's sort of a little bit worse. I still like the sprint, but I'm wary about this sort of fiddling around the edges that's going on. So 
to pick up on a point you made at the start of that answer, if we might term you a sprint racing purist now, Ed, what would you, what <laughs> would you do? traditionalist back in 2021. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. What would you do about FP2, the Saturday morning session? What, what's your solution? You said there's other things you could do there. So what would you do if it's not this? Well, yeah, you could have it anyway and just say it's just a pre-practice session. Probably prefer to do something. You could not have it. You don't have to necessarily have a have have track time. If it's so terrible and boring and people hate it, then don't have it. But maybe people at the track like it because they can. If you're general admission, you can maybe watch it at a different corner, or they just enjoy seeing cars on the track. I think we should be careful about assuming that every session has. I think every day certainly it's good to have something. Every session, not necessarily essential, but. What I would say is that I don't have a kind of automatic go-to solution for what to do with FP2. I don't think that making changes other other ways to eliminate FP2 gives a kind of net gain, if you see what I mean. So I, I just don't think it's such a an important thing. And I, I have doubts about whether people have got time to watch a qualifying on Friday evening, a qualifying on Saturday morning, a race on Saturday afternoon, and a race on Sunday afternoon. I know there's different ways to consume it, but... I am a little bit wary about whether that's really necessary. And then if you make each segment feel a little bit disposable, is that overall weakness? I may be getting ahead of myself. We'll get on to some of this later. But I, I don't, you, you know, you could just not have FP2 if it's such a problem. One of the, um, uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because there is this uh, little format debate coming just as a little bit of a teaser. But when I was karting, one of my favourite formats that we had and Ben, you might have been familiar with this as well at certain times, was the results from different heats would be tallied and that would set the grid for your final, basically. So you would have it whereby if you had two two heats or three heats or whatever, you'd either have a, an average result or you'd have basically quote-unquote points awarded for these heats and then blah, blah, blah. Like in festival karting, basically, where yeah, yeah, the, but grid, also, the grid but also is too at, big. But also at club championship level as well. I mean, it was that you have to, when if you have a system that has qualifying races or heats, you have to have a system that then collates a grid for the final yeah. off the back of that. And qualifying was less prevalent in, certainly when, when, when I was karting. One of the things I've been thinking would potentially be valid and would result in solving the dilemma that Ed raises on what is that what what incentive is there for the individual drivers outside of the points in the sprint? Because I made the point earlier that the teams get something out of it because it's contributing to a bigger prize pot. But I completely agree with what Ed said. If you're milling around in 14th or 15th, what incentive do you have to make an, an overtake on the car in front when it's not going to impact your grid position for Sunday? So whether this would be a good compromise or an interesting format or just a halfway house that has no merit whatsoever, I've always liked the idea of qualifying counting towards something. And I think it's right that qualifying influences the grid for the Grand Prix. But I I wondered if there's any kind of compromise where you have, you basically combine the results of qualifying and the result of the sprint. So neither one of those things independently sets that grid but then you have something that rewards outright pace and something that rewards an outright result and i wonder if you do that could you also then engineer the sprint race being a reverse grid we'll call it the scott mitchell index (laughs) well it's not about awarding you know like certain points or you know having a a different factor involved there but it's just if you if you did it so that you go out, you do your qualify, you do qualifying on the, the the Friday, and yeah, you get whatever it is, um, 
reverse the number. So it's 20 for pole, 19 for second, 18, but etc. Then you do the sprint race and it's the same system. 20 for the winner, 19 for second, 18 for third, blah, blah, blah. And then your grid for Sunday is your cumulative total from those two different competitive sessions. One that rewards outright single lap speed and one that rewards racecraft. Maybe that's the way that you introduce the reverse grid because then you've got that element that does protect the fastest cars that isn't screwing them over. I'm, I've plucked that from my backside in the middle of this podcast. So it might be completely unworkable, but it does tap into one of my favourite formats from karting. And I see that as something that then does, while, while not completely removing the jeopardy of someone's absolutely screwed if something bad happens in the sprint, because they've got a bit of insurance from qualifying, you do have it where the minor positions in the sprint race suddenly become a bit more worthwhile. Because it can, it could end up being the difference between one or two spots on the grid on Sunday. I uh, was a big fan of the the karting format where you had heats in a final, and your your grid slots were in my day uh, your your grid slots were allotted at random. So you would get you know front, middle, and back, or three roughly middle but slightly different from each other, and then yeah, your cumulative result would set the grid for the main race. And I remember writing a feature for for Autosport. I think when Ed was editor uh, back in about 2015, um, we were talking about this kind of subject, F1 formats, and I advocated for that format to be in F1. So you had, you still had a qualifying session as a kind of standalone time trial. So you got to see the cars going flat out as fast as they could, and you rewarded them for that with some kind of minor points paying system. And then I wanted all the rest of the practice sessions to basically become heats and all the grid slots were random and everyone had to race through those heats, sprint races, to set the grid for the Grand Prix. And I was quite excited by this format and I asked Lewis Hamilton about uh, formats and whether having the karting style, which I thought he would be on board with because you know he came through karting and uh, as everyone knows and enjoyed the, that kind of racing, whether he would like, like it if that format was applied to F1. And I was quite deflated when he said no. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually it's it's a format with merit. I'm not a massive purist in terms of thinking we don't have to consider different formats. And we'll probably refer back to some of those ideas later on when we talk about potential alternative weekend formats. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Val, you bring plenty of MotoGP specialism. That's your primary patch. They introduced sprints this year. So can you just run through how that's working, how it's been received, and perhaps whether there's any lessons for Formula One? All right, buckle up. So it's, it's a bit of a long one. It's a bit of a long story. Uh, basically, uh, sprints have been introduced unilaterally for this season, meaning for every round of the championship. Um, they've been introduced sort of in a way that feels like it's blindsided a big bunch of the of the MotoGP grid. Like you know how in Formula One we've spent a good three or four years now hashing out every single detail of the sprint. What happened in MotoGP was basically the series promoter going, "Okay, here's your new format." enjoy uh the thing is people have enjoyed and that's you know that's that's i guess an interesting lesson to be learned is the MotoGP sprint format 
by and large is a success with some major caveats. And let's let's start with the obvious caveats. There is significant concern over the injury rates that have been created by the extra sprint race. Um, there are last round in Termas in the main race, there were only 17 riders out of 22 with the other five on the injured list. Some of them, you know, quite significantly hurt. Uh, two of those five were hurt in sprint races and one more was hurt, many attributed due to a specific quirk of the format because it is now a very stressful format that basically leaves no, no room to calm down, no real sessions for riders to, you know, ease off. MotoGP was already a little bit like that because, you know, Stefano Domenicali's dream for Formula One of having practice sessions count towards something. MotoGP basically has already had that. It had the system where combined times in FP1, FP2, FP3, and what I mean when I say combined, I mean the best time across of them. You rank the grid on that and the top 10 automatically go to the final qualifying segment. So basically, in a way, practice is a is a prelude to qualifying, which means that in in one of the practice sessions, but usually in two of them, you get last gasp qualifying attempts that aren't just qualifying simulations, but are genuine, like you have to do the time. It's not not a problem if you don't do the time. You must do it. You must put in a soft tire and do it. The way MotoGP has changed now is that same top 10, that same final qualifying segment, automatic passage is determined entirely on Friday. So you have FP1 to clean the track. And you have FP2 basically as your first qualifying segment. Then you have qualifying on Saturday morning. Then you have the Saturday sprint race. Then you have the Sunday main race. As a format, like if you forget the injury concerns, if you forget the extra risk of having more starts, and you understand that obviously MotoGP starts are even scarier than in F1 because there's this big risk of, you know, bike-to-bike collisions and of a rider falling in front of a pack. So every time you maybe roll the dice a little bit and now it's 42 dice rolls instead of 21. But the entertainment has been, it has been sublime. Basically every session counts more. Riders are more stressed, which reflects the fact that every bit of track time counts more. And the sprints, which pay slightly more points than they do in F1, are a blast. They're fantastic. They, as, as a show, they're, many people now argue that they're better than the Sunday races. I think they're two different types of show, but they're spectacular because, well, one, bikes can pass. F1 cars can't pass. Bikes, no problem. And two, because unlike an F1 where you have, what, three drivers who can score a podium, four, five, six, if you're lucky. In current MotoGP, the way the parity works, it's like 12 or 14. So everybody just goes absolutely bananas on Saturday. Absolutely nuts. The tires aren't going to wear. So just absolutely go for it and bump off as many people as you want. Finish as high up as you want. The stewards will let you get away with it. Uh, the Saturday race does not form the the Sunday grid, which is also, honestly, I don't love. And I won't love it in F1. But it's for MotoGP, it's easier to get away with because the sprint really genuinely does feel like just a, a separate race rather than a smaller weaker version of the main event if that makes sense so i guess it still has that disconnection problem i don't like maybe that doesn't matter so much i was just thinking about uh i forgot sprints existed for the season opener so i just turned on on sunday and the sprint was mentioned i thought oh yeah that happened didn't really make much difference to me but as a as a fairly relaxed fan of MotoGP, i would say but i guess the fundamental problem is ben that you're not going to get in an f1 sprint like brad binder did coming from 15th to win are you it's just not possible well, it's very unlikely unless uh, 
there are particular disastrous circumstances that create it or there are you know crazy conditions you know Val makes a good point about the fundamental difference being that bikes just race easier than f1 cars do so you're naturally going to get a bit more drama maybe the riders are slightly crazier and happier to take risks just fundamentally and of course the downside is that in car racing you have accident damage you tend not to have driver damage but accident damage in bike racing tends to be person damage so that is an unfortunate development um but of course most riders are crazy enough and they're such good doctors they just get patched up and back on the bike anyway so no problem i guess that's i, I they would not agree with that assessment and <laughs> <laughs> i guess the real question is scott whether there's actually anything relevant for f1 to learn here other than become like MotoGP bikes where it's much much easier to pass which is one of those things that people often say should happen but it's just not something that's going to work because for starters motorbikes are a lot smaller so there's fundamentally a lot of space I know there's a lot of other reasons but it's I think probably the thing for me is it tells us that actually the format isn't necessarily the first order problem it's the product you could lose a couple of wheels and make them a lot smaller and then maybe F1 would have half a chance uh, but I think it is. Um, I think it is indicative of the, the the product more than it is the format. I mean, there is potentially a lesson to be learned there in the the manner in which the sprints were introduced, as as Val was explaining. Basically, the MotoGP competitors being told, "Hey, you signed up for this. This is the format we're giving you. Crack on." And there's an element of F1, especially more so in the Liberty Media era, trying to do a lot of things by committee. And just because I, th- I, I and I think that there is a good logic or intention behind that, which is that it's better to have everybody on the same page if you can come to a good agreement that everybody sees the value in. That's better than forcing things through. But sometimes forcing things through is the only way to get change done. I mean, the the reason we have the slightly compromised and um divisive sprint format in the first place is because F1 couldn't get the reverse grid trial over the line. And they couldn't do that because they didn't have the autonomy to just be able to say, this is what we want to try, so we're trying it. And th- th- there are there are definitely benefits and, and disadvantages to, to this kind of system versus MotoGP. But what I think would be beneficial if F1 was able to just put its foot down and basically say, this is what we're going to do, so we're doing it, is that we'd get a lot more real-world data on whether things work and what the actual pros and cons of certain things are. That's what I've liked about the fact we've had these sprints, is we've been able to see in reality, rather than through hypothetical scenarios, how these things play out, where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are in the weekend format. And then that that does provide genuine... But we will find out this year whether this version of the sprint is better, worse, net neutral, who knows? So... Short of a fundamental change to that F1 product, and I still I don't think in 2026 when we have a new car and a new engine, I don't think that will go in the right direction. All this talk about hopefully making the cars smaller and lighter again, I bet that fails. We're either going to stay the same or be slightly heavier or be negligibly lighter. It's not going to get to a point where F1 cars can proper can just be suited to sprint races. So I think there needs to be this if we if we care that much about the spectacle. And there has always been an element of, you know, the show as well as the sport. Then ultimately, the way F one is that 
requires a bit of creativity with looking for more dynamic formats. The only way to really go down that route is to have a MotoGP style, like it or lump it, this is what you're dealing with, sign up to it or disappear and just leaving it at that. If we keep doing things by committee, I think we will eventually get to a point of just constantly having compromised halfway house solutions. Now, I should say in the interest of fairness that I think MotoGP promoter Dorna would object to my sort of dictatorial-ish description of how it went down and will say that all the stakeholders, by which it means the manufacturers taking part, were kept abreast. But there's certainly, there's no denying that one, riders were by and large very surprised to find out that suddenly, oh, it's just a thing for the full season, not even, you know, a trial, it's just, it's coming in. And two, clearly there was not this prolonged discussion over the minutia that we're used to with with f1 it it was very fast it's very very fast to pick up on a point scott was making about the the wider picture and the product from 2026 onwards when the rules change significantly again i kind of pessimistically agree with that assessment that you know are the cars going to change all that much not really the rules are mainly there to encourage more engine manufacturers in which is a good thing just by making the engines simpler um maybe there'll be some other changes that do improve things but it's not going to be seismic i kind of like the idea that Formula one's experimenting with its formats and trying to modernize a bit rather than just doing the same things that have always been done because they've always been done but the sprint format obviously it's a difficult situation in the early stages when you're just saying let's do a few trials it's small enough that you can kind of forgive the grumbling and just get on with it. And even the people who don't like it vociferously can be talked down because it's such a minor part of the overall season. But now you're having more of them. Inevitably, if the push is to use these experimental formats to drive engagement and have more people watching more meaningful track action and spending more money on watching Formula One, you're going to have to roll it out more widely. And then you reach problematic situations like, as Lewis Hamilton raised, Monaco. What do you do in Monaco for a sprint format? How do you create a format that will work on every F1 circuit? The bigger, faster, longer straight circuits make sense to have sprint races. Baku, I know Christian Horner's not happy about it because of the crash damage risk under the budget cap, and that's fair enough. But it will be one of the better circuits for having a sprint race just because of the way it's laid out. But a track like Monaco, I mean, I'd love to see it, but it, we know M Monaco is a track that you watch the cars to see how fast they're driven on that layout and how much drivers can flirt with the barriers. The races are always processional and boring, basically, unless some weird anom anomalies happen with the conditions and what have you. So how does Formula One find a format that can work across all its circuits without actually binning off some of its traditional circuits, which maybe is an argument, or does it have to go down this route whereby it creates different formats for each Grand Prix so that each Grand Prix has its own unique identity? And are there enough formats actually to do that when the calendar is going up towards 25 events a season? But that's, that's a good question. And why does there need to be a, an identical format for every race? We're already at a point where we're happy having more than one format in a season. So, so why why shouldn't we be open to the idea? If we have something that if we recognise that there's a batch of circuits where format X is not applicable, then format X is not used at that circuit. So if there was 
a certain, if there were reverse grids, for example, then we obviously wouldn't do that at Monaco because that would completely cheapen the result on on, on Sunday. Um, I, I don't know what the right balance is. Uh, I don't feel like there's been an uproar to having two formats in a season from a competitive sporting fairness point of view. No one seems to have really complained about it from a competitor's side or a fan side. Not that I've seen anyway. I might be wrong. I don't know where the limit would be if you suddenly had bespoke formats for all 23 races. <laughs> I suspect that would probably be going too far. But somewhere between two and 23 formats, I think, is probably quite a good balance. There's absolutely no reason why not. Absolutely no reason that you have to have the same format throughout. I'm all for people honouring the tradition of Grand Prix racing. But as long as you have a race on Sunday that's the identifiable Grand Prix, that's the key focal point, I've got no problem. Honestly, I, I kind of used to be a single format maximalist, but the more I think about it, the more I, I understand that's coming from a mindset that still imagines like a 16 race Formula One season. When we're at, you know, when we're pushing 25 and starting to dream of 30 or whatever, it makes a lot of sense to mix them up, doesn't it? And I, you know, I always have this F1 adjacent thought of what kind of creative thing we can do when NASCAR runs its various wacky forms of races i mean obviously the road course race is the famous nascar outlier but i'm thinking you know specifically they just had the bristol dirt race so you know, just a regular race in the season but it's a dirt race that's nothing like all the other races and it has heat races in the format that we've just discussed honestly if we're if we're you know when we start getting to 30 in no in terms of age but in terms of you know the calendar there's no reason not to try something like that there's no reason not to have maybe I don't know if I would prefer like a set of boilerplate formats or I would prefer like one major format and then branches for separate races that are really tweaked to those races. Maybe I prefer the latter, but I, I don't, I don't see any reason not to, not to go down that route because ultimately, yeah, it might feel a little weird, but it's better to feel weird than to be bored out of your mind, isn't it? And I think as long as people can recognize what's going on. And you're going to get racing or you're going to get qualifying. Those are probably your two things that you're going to get in one way, shape or form. And there'll, there'll be a practice session at, at some point, as long as it's not going completely out there to being unrecognisable as as Grand Prix racing, you're fine. So yeah, I'd, I'd be entirely in favour of that. And maybe some experimental formats that could be tried we'll get onto in a moment. For the final part of our discussion, we're going to discuss what would be the ideal race weekend. Or given we were just talking about varying the format, I should say, a race weekend format you'd ideally like to be tried. I've asked my three guests to each come up with a proposed structure. Should we start with you, Ben, because you've already outlined your one. So just give us the sort of bullet point version of your format. Yeah, so my best guess for this, it's kind of similar to what I was saying before, but without the the heat carting heat element. So I would have Friday as the who's the fastest day. So broadly similar to the sprint race format we have now. You have a practice session to get warmed up. Then you go into a qualifying session. Um, what we understand as being a qualifying session, but it's a time trial. It exists in its own right. You award points for it, minor points, which obviously will offend Val. Um, but nevertheless, it counts um, and rewards people for building a car that can be quick over one lap and drivers for trying to show how fast that car can go over one lap and then saturday i would probably maintain the sprint racing format but maybe you have two sprint races um no individual qualifying session for them 
Um, again, you will you award reduced points um, on a smaller scale to the one for the Grand Prix, and then Sunday have the Grand Prix as it is now. But I would set the grid for all of those races, the sprints and the Grand Prix, with reverse grids, and I would just reverse the championship order. So before each race, reverse championship order is the grid, and for the start of the season, for the first race, that grid is reversal of the order at the end of the previous season and any driver who's swapped seats takes the position that would have been occupied by their predecessor and that's it when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. So it would make sense for Mercedes to to rent Nicholas Latifi for one race at the start of, <laughs> at the, start of the season, wouldn't it? Yes, you can start picking it apart now. So the emphasis of mine is have have a time trial that shows how fast the cars are, but the rest of the time just have racing. Yeah, well, that's giving the people what they apparently want, and it's quite a lively and dramatic departure, certainly worth considering. we probably run through all the formats, and then we can discuss some of the ideas. Obviously, reverse grids we maybe need to get into a bit. So, Val, what would be your format suggestion? Yeah, I should say, I like the first thing I thought of that when you, you, you've you set me the task of coming up with a format, I thought of heat races, because I think heat races is the platonic ideal. But I, th- I have to be realistic and appreciate that I think there's an understanding, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's certainly one that will concern people that it's too hard to follow and too hard to come up with the grid in your head when you're watching. And there's a certain subset of people who hate watching live leaderboards and tracking who's on course to place where or whatever. I don't, but some people do, and you know, that's fair. So the way I went is FP1, 60 minutes on Friday, then qualifying as it is during the sprint format, three segments on Friday. Then Saturday morning, one-shot qualifying run in reverse order of the Friday qualifying. Then a sprint run on the grid order of that one-shot qualifying, except that sprint is twice or maybe even longer has a mandatory pit stop and counts as a proper race and awards more points than it does right now and then the main race on sunday which isn't maybe so much the main race anymore but just a different race that sort of tracks a slightly different thing like i guess sprint and endurance if you like but yeah that is based on the friday qualifying qualifying order 
so yeah, we, I, I have two Grand Prix, basically. Assuming. Oh, I'm getting a little bit worried about that one. Maybe we'll discuss that one in a minute. Scott, how about your format? <laughs> At one point when I thought about this, I came very close to considering the merits of a British Touring Car Championship style trio of races, equal length with no single Grand Prix. But I just, as much as I think that that, that works from a BTCC point of view, I still find myself absolutely furious that the final race of a British Touring Car weekend is the most ridiculous and the yeah. least merited. So I, I, I dismiss that out of hand. And then I'm very, very annoyed and disappointed to discover that I've ended up on a system that is basically identical to Ben's. Um, but, I, I, but I do think it, I do think it comes... We, we can spot the former karting competitors. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. Disappointed. Hashtag karting union. Um, it's, it's just because I, I, but I do think it does tie into that. Like having experienced it is a genuinely good, um, format. So the way I had it in mind was, um, FP1 session on, uh, Friday, um, at which point the teams are free to play around with setups afterwards, but then you have a qualifying session Friday afternoon that then locks in Park Ferme for the rest of the weekend. I wasn't sure whether or not I would go the the whole hog points wise and offer points for every position in qualifying and basically restructure the points format because I know that F1's spent a long time basically gradually increasing the number of points available but I don't think it really matters all, all points are relative aren't they and yeah. <laughs> with different championships they're, they're different levels so I was thinking if you go 20 for fastest down to one for for slowest you would then basically just increase the number of points available for Sunday's Grand Prix and then I so that would be that would be qualifying separate thing unrelated to the rest of the weekend it's a points exercise uh, every single position every half attempt every hundredth that you can find is potentially worth an extra point so I think there's a real emphasis there um different skill sets on show and then yeah so then you have your two um your two heats effectively on well, I would do these on Saturday um, and I would just the whole way through the season have it as one of those grids is championship order one is reverse championship order because then while there could be obviously some shifting through the year with some people constantly having one of those races where they're starting at the front because they're driving for a crap car or, or whatever you can't game that system really Whereas if you do like a reverse grid from qualifying or reverse grid from the previous race, you will have you will have people Jason Platoing it from British Touring Cars in two thousand and four, I think it was, where you're just deliberately dropping down the order to get a good grid position for the other heat. If you do it in championship, that was my thinking as well. Championship and reverse championship order, you can't game it. Yeah, so it's nice. It's fair, basically. Exactly, and and but there's still an element of your in those heats. There's a good balance between. The ones that are doing the best job are still being rewarded because not only have they just scored championship points for qualifying, but one of their qualifying heats, they're starting at the front. But then the other heat puts an emphasis on raceability of the car, the shrewdness of the drivers, how good a job they do. And then, yeah, you have your cumulative score from those two heats, such a grid for Sunday's Grand Prix, which awards, let's say, double points compared to what it does now to distinguish it properly from qualifying. Well, it's interesting. There's a number of concepts and ideas that are recurring through some of those. One of the interesting ones is the reverse grid thing, because I actually don't fundamentally automatically dismiss reverse grid as an idea, provided the grid is decided equitably and it's not random. Random grids I don't like at all, because that does not even itself out. Reverse grids as they they are, that's a little bit different. But can you ever see the watching world wanting that? Because one of the things I've 
found is whenever I've even countenanced the idea, there's been quite a big pushback from what I'd call the kind of more purist group. And I think that the normal thing I'd expect is that the kind of people we all are automatically should fall into that we hate the idea of reverse grids, but we all seem to a greater or lesser degree to be open to them. So we may be outliers, but can anyone see the wider world accepting them? I think it comes down to um, how you frame it, how good a good and clear an argument you make for it. Well, well, F1 will do that terribly, won't they? Because they just tell yeah. everyone watching <laughs> yeah, how brilliant yeah. it is and then get annoyed when there's pushback. But there's also an element here I genuinely think of just, if this is what we decide would be the best thing to do long term, and you're convinced by that, just do it and then give it time to sink in and for people to actually see it for what it is and then come to associate F1 with this format. Because I use this as the, in, it is the most cliched argument for reverse grids or in... In, it's the most cliched argument that's used in this debate, which is that why do we accept that the way a grid has to be set is by putting the fastest car first? Why why do you give an advantage to the car that's fastest and therefore you won't really have, a, in all likelihood, a sporting spectacle afterwards because if that car's the fastest and you put it in front of everybody else, it's just going to gradually drive away. The only reason we accept this is because that's basically how all of us for generations have known that that's how it's done. And I don't think that's an acceptable reason for doing something. I understand that it influences tradition, completely get that. And I think you'd have to be very, very careful to throw away tradition willy-nilly and just act like it's not important in the slightest. You do have to factor that in. But why, If, if again, if you're absolutely convinced it's the way to go, say that, and then this this becomes you end up creating a new tradition because sooner rather than later if you cut if you stuck with it you would get to a point of having a generation of fans who only know grids being set that way and then if you had that in t- for 20 or 30 years in 30 years time you'll have poor idiots sat on a podcast going yeah but why are grids set by reverse grid why why don't we just have it as a meritocracy where the fastest cars start first that's how traditions exist that's how we become associated with things so it's it's all it's all relative and it's all about the perspective that that you have on it, which is born from your own experience. The experience we've had up to now is that you put the fastest car first and give them an advantage. But if we change that, then we wouldn't accept that that's the way to do things because it wouldn't be the way to do things anymore. So you can only change these things by actually changing them, which is the, possibly the most vacuous thing I've ever said on one of these podcasts, which is <laughs> which is immensely which is immensely high competition. But I stand by it. I'm obliged to interject at this moment and say the first conventional qualifying rather than drawing lots for a grid was the 1933 Monaco Grand Prix. So there were quite a few years of Grand Prix racing, albeit in a very different form to what we know today, before this happened. So it, it's it's not something that's absolutely always been, obviously, almost a century's worth. So it's not even been a hundred years. It's, it's not inviolable. It's not inviolable. <laughs> not even a hundred years. I think the genie is already out of the bottle on this because we already have tweaked formats, sprint racing, sprint qualifying, as it was called, a format that affected the grid, awarded pole position, not by qualifying, which offended everybody and is obviously part of the reason why the the now Friday sessions are being uh, ring-fenced and awarding pole position properly again. So now F1's taken that leap. And uh, yeah, of course, there are going to be people that don't like it within and outside of Formula One. Why not just keep going and find better, potentially better formats to utilise. You know, reverse grids seems like a big leap, but 
the races are always better when you've got a faster car trying to overtake a slightly slower one ahead of it rather than a faster car streaking off into the distance from the front. So there's, fundamentally, there's no argument against reverse grids from a spectacle point of view. So to me, it's an inevitability at some point. And as I say, because Formula 1 is now on this trajectory of experimenting and trying to tweak its formats in order to boost the spectacle, we will get there. And then it's just a case of everybody making their peace with it. Um, to reference Scott's earlier point about touring cars and their partially reverse grid that they have in race three, that's been adapted to other series on that package, including the Porsche Carrera Cup, which is famed for Formula One style racing, little overtaking being pretty much a qualifying formula because of the nature of the cars and the the size of the relative size of the tracks being quite small. Generally, their best race is the partially reversed grid one where you have these pro-am or amateur drivers at the front and the quicker guys trying to race through and they have to overtake in cars that aren't really built for overtaking. And that is great to watch for the first portion of that race until inevitably the quicker drivers get through and everything settles down again. Much more exciting to watch than those drivers qualifying at the front and then just driving off into the distance for the first two races. For, for me, the only reverse grid no-go is that I think under no format should uh, the re a reverse grid directly lead to a Grand Prix win. So within one session, if you understand what I mean. I don't think it should be the deciding factor in any single Grand Prix race that awards a, a Grand Prix win. For, for me, that's that's important. But also, I think it is important to to think that, you know, the format would be better, you know, any sort of reversing of the grid would be better for current Formula One. Maybe not so good for the Formula One that Formula One wants down the line, which is to say one where cars aren't separated by two seconds, but by half a second. If, if you see what I mean. But that's obviously any format changes that happen right now need to consider the grid right now and not the dream grid that we all have in our minds and have had in our minds for the last 20 years or whatever. Ed, what would be your ideal format, given you're a sprint racing purist, as we discussed earlier? <laughs> well, it's, it's strange. I'm actually not especially vexed about the subject of formats. I think if we're going to change formats... There needs to be a willingness to be more extreme because they do these really small things. As, you know, even sprint races, it's not that massive uh, a change. So for me, the really important thing is to consider alternatives. That's why I think once the doors open, you have got to look and consider seriously as far as reverse grids. I'd also be perfectly happy if it just stayed with a completely traditional format. So I'm I'm a slightly I'm a slightly odd place on this. It seems to get people very, very sitting angry. on the fence. Well, like it's, any it's, good not so much, it's not so much sitting <laughs> on the fence because there's no, there's not, there's almost not two sides. Because for me, provided it's still a test of the driver ability, the quality of the cars, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, provided it still tests all of that, you've still got fundamentally the same thing, which I know is sort of sitting on the fence, but I think there's a tendency to think it's kind of the end of days if one small thing changes. And I think the fact that the sprint races have been quite fun, I'm, you know, I, I like the sprint weekends because Friday there's a little bit more at stake. That's good. Uh, but at the same time, it's not completely 
fundamentally transforming it in a way that people fear. So you could call it sitting on the fence. You could call it just a reflection of the fact that I think sometimes on things you don't necessarily have to be on. There doesn't even necessarily have to be a fence. There's kind of a, a, a broad parameter of things you're looking for. But I think once you start looking at different formats – it seems absurd that there's a, right, we must try different formats. And then there's this huge force to, we must try different formats, but they must be as similar as we possibly can get them to what we had originally, because that makes no sense to me. The one thing I would say that when it comes to working out how you want to address that balance of entertainment and sport, as I was talking about earlier, is that the format at least gives everybody the same opportunity even if the format changes weekend to weekend every single driver and every single team will go into that weekend knowing exactly what the format is they're faced with the same format as everybody else so the parameters within which they are competing are fair to to a degree you can argue that they're not if you're putting someone in a slower car artificially on pole position or whatever but I think I'd be much happier if we if we decided that there needed to be something in the interim before F1 can be fixed and the cars suddenly become much better to be to be raced with. If we needed to fix it with something that did inject a little bit of artificiality into it, I'd be much much more content with that being done via the format than I would F1 going anywhere near some kind of balance of performance. That because Agreed. because the yeah. problem is that that is sooner or later going to be the direction that someone wants F1 to head in because everything else has failed and how else do you balance out the cars? Well, we can't keep having Red Bull having seven tenths of a second a lap in the pocket just to unleash whenever they want. We've got to try and find a way to pick anything that then puts weekend to weekend, day to day car performance in the hands of something else that could just change the change the picture qualifying to the race or race weekend to the next i despise the idea of that and i think balance of performance has wrecked some superb championships in the past and continues to damage championships around the world because it's so contentious just primed to be gamed rife for controversy and favoritism and and, and all of this can't go anywhere anywhere near that i wouldn't have a massive problem if F1 stuck with single qualifying and a 90-minute Grand Prix till the end of time. If we just stuck with that format that we've known broadly for the last however many years and there was no sprint ever, there was no talk about reverse grids, no talk about different formats, I, I, I would generally be okay with that. I'd still find it a bit confusing because personally, I do just find it a bit weird that you give the, the fastest car and driver the head, a, a head start. But fine, that's what it is. You get on with it. But I would take a format change over something like BOP a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah, but BOP is phenomenally gross and awful. No argument there. Although, honestly, the other way to equalize things, which would be, I don't know, making F1 90% spec. I'm the kind of gross person who would actually be completely into that. Let's not get into that in, in this podcast. Ed, I saw you, you know, you say you're neutral on this topic, more or less, or not too bothered anyway. But I definitely saw you make a face when I suggested having two Grand Prix wins in a single weekend because yeah, you're that's, the, that's the Rubicon I will not cross. That's yeah. Um, Cause you're a standard yeah, uh, like me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's partly because of that, but also I think it's quite important to have at the end of a weekend, a feeling of who has won, who won the Grand Prix. Yes. Oh, it was Max Verstappen. Oh, it was Lewis Hamilton. Oh, it was George Russell. Oh, it was Charles Leclerc or whatever. I think if you've got two that 
have effectively equal status, I think that becomes much, much harder. And I've got quite a big thing in my mind, and it's connected actually to balance of performance as well, about how important it is to have sort of narratives that people can follow through seasons. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like really aggressive balance of performance almost turns into everyone gets a turn racing. And then suddenly you get massively varied winners, but nothing's a surprise anymore. It's just, oh, right, they've won, they've won, they've won. And you lose that narrative of favourites and underdogs and outsiders. So that's the thing that I think is quite important, maintaining that one key focal point. I think it's primarily because of the fact that I think that is important for what people perceive Grand Prix racing as and having sort of one clear winner on a weekend. The, the stats thing probably potentially feeds into it a bit. I, I like to think that the, the, the former was my main purpose on that, but I, I'm very, very wary about having that kind of equal status because I think then there is that whole problem of people getting confused about exactly what they're following and what matters. And it comes to a point, one of the, my criticisms of NASCAR now, which, uh, I mean, I do fundamentally like NASCAR, but I've very much become disengaged with it with the format changes. I don't really like the stage races, but in particular, I don't like the format. I actually like the chase as it originally was, but you kind of have the Daytona 500 and then that's quite important. And then there's just a load of races that don't really matter because you're just trying to qualify for the playoffs. And then by the time you've gone through all those months, you've kind of got into not really being that bothered about what's going on. So that, that's sort of what I'm, I'm worried about, having something that people can plug into. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I'm not keen on having not one premium this is the grand prix of a weekend here's why i went for that because i think the ideal solution is having the one grand prix winner and then heat races for me are is is basically the ideal solution some form of what you know scott discussed basically i just fear it's might be too complicated to follow and the one why i would then have to for me Every single session, if there's one Grand Prix win, then every single session in that weekend for me has to contribute to that Grand Prix win, has to be part of a path to that Grand Prix win. And where we're going right now, the Saturday sprints and the the sprint day, as we are now dubbing it and will forever dub it, it just belongs to something else. It's something different. You can crash out of the sprint and have that have no repercussions for your chances of a Sunday win. You can win a Grand Prix having finished 20th in the sprint with you know with all of your wheels off and that's part of the appeal of the change but that's also i don't like that because that for me breaks the narrative of the weekend so that's that's why i went with two grand prix i think i think that's i mean it's a it's a coherent position to take certainly well i guess just to finish i don't know whether we've really resolved anything here but probably the number one conclusion is firstly that format changes aren't the way to solve the ongoing problems grand prix racing's got in terms of the on-track product there's other ways to do that and also that probably F1 as a whole almost is unwilling to go far enough once it's decided to do that. So what, what does everyone think is the kind of big picture? What, what would your saying to Stefano Domenicali, right, this is the direction you need to go. Here's your bullet points for things you need to work on. Do you remember the uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch of the panel show that's like, you know, debates big questions and they're like debating world hunger and trying to solve it within like 30 seconds or something like that? When you just mentioned that we maybe haven't resolved anything, that's that's what I thought back to. And that thought has really overtaken any suggestions to Domenicali that I might have had right now. I think one thing we have learned from this is that it's a more nuanced debate than perhaps it's often positioned as because people tend to think it's kind of the purists, the traditionalists against the people who want to tear all of that up. But all four of us are kind of in the traditionalist bucket by inclination, but we're all open to things that will go more extreme than 
what a lot of people would argue for that. So I guess that's it's almost been it's an existential question again for Formula One. They've been having these existential crises for about. 12 15 years now in f1 so i guess it comes down to coming back to the fundamentals it's like what are you trying to achieve and what is the best way to achieve it yeah absolutely no that fundamentally they want and everyone wants closer racing and a more equitable competitive spread whereby more people have a chance to win rather than just in this season's case one or two drivers or in a best case scenario maybe six drivers you want all 20 drivers to have a chance. But that aim has so many facets to it and avenues by which you could try to achieve that, including how the teams are financed, whether they're trying to tackle that with a cost cap, how the cars are designed, whether they're trying to tackle that with ground effect aerodynamics and less dirty air coming off them, uh, whether you go to a spec formula, which they kind of have started to go towards in a very minor way with those kind of open designs on Basic components don't have a huge performance influence. Uh, you could argue that F1 should go spec to create that equitable state for all the drivers to have a chance. But obviously that has a huge ramification in terms of how the teams are set up and it fundamentally undermines Formula 1 as a constructors' championship, etc. Um, even customer cars, which has come up in, not in this podcast, but in other debates about Formula 1 in the past, leads down that route inevitably. And then you do have aspects of the format. So you can make the races more exciting, more interesting, add jeopardy to the championship by tweaking the format. Whether this goes far enough or whether Formula 1 has gone far enough, that's definitely open to debate. I would say to Domenicali, if you're going down this route, then you do need to be more extreme and consider things like reverse grids and things that will fundamentally make the races more exciting just automatically because you're not giving the fastest cars, the head start over the slowest cars. But of course, if you're tweaking all these things together, which Formula 1 is kind of doing, you do risk at some point having kind of over-meddled. It's not normally a good uh, experimental method to change lots of things at once because you then can't easily determine which thing is having the biggest impact. So Formula 1 is probably trying to just balance out the short versus the long term. They've made the fundamental cost cap and design aerodynamic changes for a kind of long-term path to getting the teams more equal and the competition just better as a natural result of that. But in the meantime, you have this lag of established teams dominating, smaller teams not able to catch up very quickly. So how do you inject excitement before you get to this dreamland and the formats is one way. And there is an understandable pressure there because of the boom in interest in Formula 1 created by Netflix and the, and the American audience interest. And obviously the American sports audience have a different general understanding of how sport is translated and how formats are designed. And I can see why Formula 1 is trying to appease that market so that it doesn't blow that interest up before it's been milked and before we get to the point where Formula 1 maybe is in just inherently more competitive again. Well, should we let you have the final word, Scott? We've had all the discussions, so what's the two-sentence solution to all of this? Decide what it is that you actually want Formula 1 to be and who you want it to be beholden to. For example, if it's car manufacturers, then 
we're never going to get to a point again where the engines are sensibly sized and the cars are sensibly sized. But if you believe that you've got an amazing project product that car manufacturers want to be part of, you set the parameters for in which that they compete rather than set yourselves up for a hiding technically by giving them everything that they want, whether that's hybrids or big batteries or or whatever. And then linked to that, I would say whatever it is that you do for the Concord agreement, the next one, give yourself the ability to enact certain changes without having 100% agreement or unanimous agreement or majority agreement from the teams. Give yourself the flexibility to be able to push through a format experiment if you really wanted to. If you wanted to then reinforce that into the regulations entirely, maybe there does need to be a bit of a majority team decision. But in order to, say, trial something at free Grand Prix over the course of the season the commercial rights holder has the 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 right basically to do that and then that is how you start experimenting on a grander basis and then actually get some real world results the way we work at the moment where you try to please everybody and end up with these minor faffing around changes around the edges isn't going to achieve anything well that's an absolutely outstanding conclusion Scott you've done well there I thought it was a hospital pass of a question but you've wrapped things up very very well I just wasn't able to do it in two sentences I thought that was the bit that you uh, you did stitch me up on to be honest I wasn't seriously expecting you to adhere to that so I think you used your time wisely though so uh, thanks very much to yourself and to Ben and to Val for your insight head to the race.com don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there and obviously in the not too distant future we'll have the answer on when that format is confirmed for Baku but we do know pretty much how that's going to go check out our other podcasts including our MotoGP podcast where you will often find Val residing bring back V10s our Formula E podcast as well and IndyCar and also check out our YouTube channel Well, we're inching closer to the action getting back underway, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.